Standing by the Terry and Ted podcast is sponsored by Jaguar Land Rover Laval. Get out of the big city and experience a construction zone free test drive. There is such a thing. Look at us doing another episode of the podcast, Ted. There's no stopping us now. Mm-hmm. I've had a wardrobe change. I see that, yeah. <laughs> Go Vikings, Western Washington University. Yes, sir. Uh, Pacific, now that I'm in the Pacific Northwest, oh, that's true, yeah. I'm trying to, uh, I'm trying to support the, uh, well, it's not local, because it's just over. One it's local It is, because one of the great things about living where I'm living is I'm about uh, probably about a 12-minute drive from the border. Is that right? Eh? Yeah. I'm going to, uh, if it keeps up the way things are going, uh, I'm going to start to gas in my uh, my tank. You know, that, that baseball park in Seattle looks pretty nice. You might want to well, go down there and watch a Mariners game. We've got that on tap, and uh, we've already been to the Climate Pledge Arena. And let me tell you something. This is the model for all arenas uh, to come in the future. It's stunning, beautifully designed, and it walks the walk in terms of the Climate Pledge. It's really Is that where the Seattle Kraken play? That's right. It's quite something. We went to see Paul McCartney there. How are you? Good? I'm good, thank you. Very good. Um, we, um, uh, before we start, uh, we are going to, we're ignoring our guest again, uh, which is very rude. It's something I, I can't get used to. Uh, when you do the podcast, you invite your guests in and they sit over next to you and you and I look at each other like, uh, like our guest is fog, which yep. is unbelievably rude. And it's, uh, it's really hard to do as a Canadian, but we'll be saying to, hi to Ian in just a moment. But first, as, uh, I just, uh, we were just at lunch. And I was just explaining to Ian that uh, I'm being squired around in the beautiful, absolutely stunningly comfortable. Well, it's not stunningly comfortable because I knew it would be. This Jaguar that you're driving me around in is unbelievably beautiful. The Jaguar F-Pace T25 provided by our title sponsors at Jaguar Land Rover Laval. Jaguar got into the... SUV game, I guess about what did you say, uh, Poseidon? How, how long ago did they bring out the F Pace? Maybe four years ago? I think 2016, 17. Okay, around that time. Mm-hmm. And uh, and they did it right. This is a beautiful vehicle. Oh, it's, it, uh, it has Jaguar luxury and performance. And the one I have, the T25, that's a nice family carrier. That's mm-hmm. something, you know, that you take the kids around town in, get them to soccer, get them to school. The one I like is the Jaguar F-Pace SVR, because that's got the 550 horsepower that you need. It sounds like a NASCAR car. It does. It yeah. really does. It has yeah. uh, it has a tremendous uh, tremendous tremendous exhaust note on it. Uh, they're beautiful vehicles, and of course, Jaguar traditionally uh, are all about luxury sedans or luxury sports coupes, and you can see those as well up at Jaguar Land Rover Laval, uh, Jaguar.ca and uh, JaguarLaval.ca and LandRoverLaval.ca. Go by and see them. Uh, you will be uh, greeted probably with espresso right out of the gate. They'll mm-hmm. give you an espresso. And you could ask for tea, I suppose, <laughs> since they are British, uh, British luxury vehicles. But I think Nino and Renato are probably <laughs> a little handier at whipping up uh, an espresso for you. Uh, nice people, nice product. Go up and see them. No pressure. Uh, there's no nobody's noses in the air. There's nothing snooty about it, mm-hmm. even though it's a, it's a luxury brand. Uh, it's a family-run business, and you'll be treated like family when you go up to see them. Our guest today is L. Ian McDonald, and uh, I I could start by introducing L. Ian by reading his resume, but we'd be here all day. Um, he is a widely known on uh, the Hill, as they say, and uh, has been involved in politics in so many years and has just been, uh, just put out another book. Uh, I'm going to ask you how many in a minute, Ian. It's called Politics and Players. And as Ian and I were just discussing, it is a beautiful, uh, put together book of his uh, columns and comments of, uh, the last, how many years, Ian, which is last four years. Um, and it's a book made for the doc. Uh, it's great summer read. And as a matter of fact, on the back of the uh, the cover, 
uh, there's a beautiful, beautiful picture, a very Canadian picture of a very Canadian scene of a very Canadian lake, which I'm guessing is Wakefield. Is it Wakefield? Like St. Pierre to Wakefield. It is. Okay. And the sun sets off the end of our dog. Oh, man. What a picture. And I'm guessing that's one of your daughters. That's Zara, who's turning 13 in, in two weeks. Oh. And she's wrapped in the Canadian flag. Look at that. Standing on the dock. It doesn't get much more Canadian than that. Her mother, either. Tasha hey? Carradine, took that shot. Is that right? Last summer. It's such a, a such a uh, beautiful uh, shot. Um, welcome, Ian. Thanks for coming to the podcast. I feel uh, like uh, suddenly the podcast got classy with you here. Pleasure to be with you. <laughs> welcome home. Nice to see you, Ted. Thank you. Nice You're all you, set Ian. for the Grand Prix with that Jaguar, I guess, huh? Well, I don't know if that... Maybe if I get the 550 horsepower one. <laughs> the one I got now could possibly be a pace car. Yeah, that's <laughs> right. It, it yeah. is a beautiful vehicle. Can you yeah. drive a standard? I can, yeah. Oh, yeah. wow. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> We're old school. That's right, yeah. yeah. Learned can, on a standard. Can you drive three on a tree? I can, yeah, yes, sir. Yeah, me too. Yeah. Yeah, can you? you? Do you remember anyway. three on a tree? Yeah. No, but I can drive a standard. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> Three on a tree was when the gear shift was on the column. First yep. gear was down here. Yep. Second was there. And yep. then third was down. Yeah. A lot of. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> when you're first learning that, I'll tell you. You're really right. Quite something. I don't, I don't know where to start, Ian. I, I, I think I'd like to start with um, uh, why you decided that it was a good time to revisit some of these topics in the book. Well, uh, this is my third collection of articles from mm -hmm. the last um, going back to the turn of the century. And this one is the shortest time period uh, from 2017 to 2021. But it's also the period in which the most has happened over a four-year span. Everything from Donald Trump in the White House to Donald Trump leaving the White House, thank goodness, uh, to uh, uh, the Trudeau years in Canada following the Harper years to... Um, covid COVID, COVID-19, that's the last chapter in the book, the, the, yeah. you know, COVID and, and then some, the pandemic and then some, and how that has kind of changed the way we are, you know, the, it's created a new normal and a new vocabulary, words like distancing that were never used before, except when you were driving, you know. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, I never uh, thought of that. Yeah. It's a different, um, it's a different uh, ball game, a uh, different world today, and uh, in, in four years, the yeah. transformation of society has been just just for example, working from home. Yeah, you used to you used to say oh, I work from home. It was yeah. kind of a brag. You yeah. Know? Now it's it's everybody works from home. Right. And it's 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 a drag. Well, <laughs> as yeah, as a columnist, I, I guess it was unique. Right. You could bang out a column at the cottage or or at home, at home sure. when you were in the newspaper game. Right. Yeah. And now uh, uh, it is. It has created the world of the Zoomcast. Yeah, where and, people work harder than ever because after yeah. the Zoom meeting, they have to go and write it and write a memo on it. Right, <laughs> right, and it, and it's people are doing customer service from their living rooms. That's for, right for yeah. uh, major companies. Is it a change for the better, Ian, or for the worse? Ask or is it that years. simple? Yeah, I guess. Yeah, yeah. you know, well, you fellows are broadcasters, so your your work is behind microphones, and it doesn't matter really where the microphones are. So that's. It's not that transformational for you, except if you were sitting at home with four kids, as many career women have been doing. Yeah. I don't know how they do it. Yeah, I will say this, though. When we're sitting across the table from each other, when we're in the same studio, yeah. we do a better show than when he's in Vancouver and I'm in Montreal. Sure. Yeah. 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 We're still great, though. Oh, terrific. <laughs> <laughs> Even on the Zoom. <laughs> One of the things that struck me, like I told you, the, the book didn't arrive in time before my departure from the Fraser Valley, but I, I the other night I, I got in about 50, 55 pages in. And one of the things that struck me is there is a, um, and I, I'm, I don't know if this is deliberate because column after column, there is an, um, a lot of reference to decency and the decency of politics that existed at a time when you were in it. And I'm, I'm curious to get your take on what's happened to that and how our politics up here have become, um, I think, poisoned to the, the point where people are throwing pebbles at the prime minister or chasing uh, Jagmeet Singh out of a riding by yelling at him and confronting him and screaming him that those are things when I see them that pardon me for being 
trite, but it's not very Canadian. Um, largely the negative influence of social media uh, is a big part of it. And part of it is the um, um, rising increased influence of pressure groups like the convoys that invaded Ottawa and shut down a city of one million people, shut down a G7 capital for three weeks last winter. Um, it's 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 um, there is some of the some of the decency and courtesy that used to be part of a public life uh, is missing, and I'll, I'll give you one example that I lived through myself. In the free trade election of 1988, the most consequential campaign of the modern era, uh, Mr. Turner, John Turner, the Liberal leader, had one point of view that was very clear. He was anti-free trade, uh, and uh, he. Uh, said to and, and won the debate against Mr. Mulroney that that famous night where he said, "I believe you have sold us out." That it was a question of sovereignty that we were selling to the Americans, not just goods. Uh, and in spite of that, uh, he actually was doing Mulroney a favor. Woke him up, and then he ran a f- spectacular campaign for the rest of the rest of that uh, October, November of, of 1988. Um, but when it was over, and Turner stepped down as Liberal leader. Well, Rooney offered to make him ambassador to the Vatican and Rome. Uh, and Turner had to decline because, he, as he said, he had at the time he had to go back and earn some money in the private sector right. because he was kind of broke from his years in politics. Um, and there was a decency in that offer, not because he was, not just because John Turner was his appointment, but he had an appreciation and an understanding for John, John Turner as a practicing Catholic. Yes, that's a that, that's a, a a very human and decent thing to do. It's interesting you say that because Turner was the uh, chair of the Cardinals' dinner every year in Toronto, and one year he asked Mulroney to go as the keynote speaker. That was a big event they had at the Royal York, and he accepted, changed his schedule to do it because Turner was the chair of the dinner, and they were friends, you know, through thick and thin, uh, opponents but friends, right adversaries but uh, contemporaries right. at the same time and um, Turner for example had supported Mulroney on the Meech Lake Accord uh, which wasn't easy for him in the Liberal Party because Mr. Trudeau Sr. had opposed it quite strenuously uh, and Mulroney appreciated that that was what, the kind of rule of courtesy in the, the House of Commons that you still see to a certain degree mm-hmm. but there are some of, some of it is missing yeah yeah um, I'm curious to get your take because you work so close with Mr. Mulroney and Mr. Mulroney's, um, you know, part of his reputation. And I remember this when he was prime minister and when he ran, people would say to him, if you met him one-on-one, you, he made you feel like a million dollars and you were the only person in the, in the room. He had a, a bigger difficulty with crowds and he had quite a, a tough reputation coming out of office. Has that reputation been rehabilitated, for lack of a better word? It's interesting you say that, um, because the other night at our Montreal book launch at the McGill Faculty Club, he came. It yes. was not a large turnout, and he's talked to everyone there. Mm-hmm. They all wanted selfies with him. Of he, course. He, he obliged happily, and everyone in the room got a picture with him, uh, and he then he left. Mm-hmm. Uh, but he was uh, delighted to have done so. Um, I, I think he was one of our better prime ministers in, in the history of prime ministers. I, and I, like I said, I've had a chance to meet him on a couple of occasions. Uh, well, he was a great campaigner, first of all. That's, yeah, he was a great was, campaigner for sure. People have asked me what it was yeah. like working for him as a writer. Mm-hmm. And I used to say it was like uh, being up on secretariat in the Belmont. You just let him run and win by 31 likes. So for people who aren't seasoned in politics, what, what makes a great campaigner? Uh, the ability to create uh, sound bites rather than uh, uh, and, and memorable to, to turn confrontations in their favor. You had a choice. And for for <laughs> yeah for for example, yes, Mr. Turner, you had an yeah. option. Uh, yeah. Option, yeah. yeah, you had an. You could option. have done better. Yeah. That yeah. was the turning point of the 1984 campaign. Yeah. Um, in '88, I remember one day we were in Vancouver or Victoria, I forget which. And these demonstrators, the hecklers who had been following us from the, from the NDP, uh, were interrupting the meeting and 
Ronnie Mulroney turned to them and said, if you'll let me finish my speech, I'll talk to you afterwards. So he gave them a debate, and the, the, the journalists who were traveling with him went crazy because it was totally spontaneous. Right. It wasn't rehearsed. And how was his tone when he said that? Was it a, a conciliatory? Totally uh, conciliatory, yeah. civilized. Uh, not, not like Ronald Reagan's, ah, shut up. No, no. He, wasn't, he, he wasn't patronizing at all, and he mm -hmm. knew his stuff. In fact, uh, I was, when he was challenged for this, I was sitting on the bus writing the speech for the next event. And the press secretary, Mark Lorty, got on the bus and he said, have we got a copy of the free trade agreement? And I said, yeah, why? He says, well, the PM's about to have a debate with these hecklers about it. And I said, does he know it that well? And Mark said, we're about to find out. <laughs> And it turned out that he did. <laughs> what? How do you approach that, Ian? For people who don't know, you have you know you're on the bus and you're writing a speech for the prime minister. Does the prime minister say to you, um, "I want to make these five points. Uh, give me a copy when we get to Baycomo or wherever." And, and how do you approach it? Are are you are you thinking about uh, Mr. Mulroney's voice? Voice? Are you thinking about what it is he's trying to say? How do you go about? composing a speech for somebody else. Well, it's interesting you ask that, Terry. One day in the 88 campaign, we were on the bus heading from Quebec City to Baycomo, his hometown on the North Shore. And he came to me in the front of the bus and he said, I'd like this to be personal. And I went, oh, there's no pressure. <laughs> <laughs> and then just before the ferry crossing the Saguenay River, these... Um, He's um, um, the motorcycle gang. What are they called? Uh, the famous motorcycle gang. Uh, well, there's the Hell's Angels. The Hell's Angels. Yeah. Yeah. A bunch of them, a delegation <laughs> of them got on the ferry. They didn't know we were on the on the ferry. Right. But they found out who it was, and so they gave us an escort all the way up the North Shore to Baycoma. <laughs> <laughs> and then wished him luck. <laughs> did that make the papers or the media in any yeah, way? I think it did, yeah. yeah. yeah that's yeah. a hell of a story. Yeah. And, and what happens? You finish the speech and give it to him, and then he says, he's, does he hand it to you? Do you do you get a copy back with a bunch of lines through well, it? Well, he talked about his father that day. Oh, but did he really? And, wow. And being the electrician's son mm -hmm. and becoming prime, you know, being prime minister of Canada. And those are words that are today engraved in stone at the Mulroney Center at St. Francis Xavier University. Wow. I didn't know that. Yeah. It, um, it, uh. So that was a good night. Yeah. <laughs> It, it it means the world to him, eh? It was what he wanted to say, yeah. and 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 I knew it. It was yeah. just it was one of those horse and jockey moments. Yeah. What what is that like as a as a speechwriter to have that engraved in stone? Well, you know, it's something that will live after you. Yeah. Well, uh, That's pretty will, powerful. It will always be there, and uh, um, something that's for posterity. Yes. One of the things you talk about in the book is making notes with the Queen. <laughs> Yes, <laughs> and, and given where we're at with the, as we record this, the Queen is just celebrating her her uh, platinum platinum jubilee. Platinum, if I got that right, I believe so. Yeah, seventieth anniversary. Ted and I were talking about you know we're both we both love the Queen. We absolutely adore the Queen, and she's getting more adorable. You know the 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 thing she did with uh, James Bond, the thing she's Paddington done this week Bear with yeah. Paddington Bear. It's really really quite something. Pulling the toast out of her purse. Yeah, exactly. exactly. Yeah. yeah, yeah, just unbelievable. You know, terrific. I've told and, Terry, and let me just interrupt for a second, yeah. Terry, to tell this story. Uh, many years ago, forty years ago, in fact, I believe it was the summer of 82 that uh, Charles and Diana were on the Britannia, the Royal Yacht, and came to Halifax. And a friend and I were down in Halifax on vacation, and we were drinking in a tavern down there, and or a bar or whatever, and some of the Britannia crewmen, crew members were there, and we got to chatting with them, and they... Uh, they observed to us that the queen is, they said, she's she's just a, a lovely woman who likes to cut a rug and have a drink and tell a joke. She's just a, they said she was just as lovely as she could be. There's a terrific story that appeared also this week on Twitter. I don't know who the gentleman was, but obviously he worked with the queen and talked about the time that um, they came upon. To, I don't know even know how this happened. I think they ago. were out in the, they might have been at Balmoral yeah. Castle. Yes, they, they were, were out in, in the, the countryside somewhere. Yeah. And they and it was an American tourist. Who did not recognize the queen and asked her where she lived. And she said, I live in London, but I have a country <laughs> home right over the hill. It's just a, it's a terrific story. Yeah. Um, and and he also said that she can be, she can, she's got quite a sense of humor. Yeah. And I, I would, I, I want to ask you, Ian, are, are you... 
intimidated when you're in the room with her majesty and what do you say to her and how do you offer her notes well as you know uh wherever the queen is whether it's in london or in the commonwealth uh, her speeches are known as uh, you give them uh, advice the prime minister's office of where, wherever they are the president's office gives the uh, the queen and her office advice uh, drafts and work from there and she has the ability of um, making uh, her own uh, adding value added comments to it and uh, uh, deciding when to personalize a speech and when not to for example once i added uh, because it was her style i added uh, my husband and i to one of her speeches and she took it out Basically, it was her way of saying, I'm the one who decides to say when I say oh, my wow. husband and I. That's interesting. In a very nice way. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but she, uh, for example, um, during the Mulroney years when I held the pen for, um, for the Queen and Queen's office, they were very good to deal with, very professional at all times. Um, she had a way of uh, personalizing. Uh, if, if, you gave, if you gave her a speech that was just a process speech that said, I now declare this bridge open, she mm-hmm. would get through it. But if it was a more meaningful event, she would find a way of personalizing it. For example, uh, in 1990, she came to Ottawa to Parliament Hill for Canada Day uh, on what was meant to have been the day that she proclaimed the Meech Lake Accord, which had uh, died a, a week earlier because it hadn't been approved, ratified by all 10 provinces. Um, and so... Uh, uh, she added um, to the text all on her own. She said, I'm not uh, just a fair weather friend. Uh, I'm glad to be here at this uh, sensitive time. And then she went on and said to say, knowing Canadians as I do, I cannot believe that uh, they will uh, not be able, after a period of calm reflection, to find a way through present difficulties. Because there was, as you know, brewing crisis between Quebec and the rest of Canada. Over the death of Meech, it was a linguistic and cultural divide. And uh, the first time uh, I heard that was when she said it. And she had written it in herself, in her handwritten notes. Wow. Uh, uh, And the only person who was aware of it was the Prime Minister, whom she read it to uh, for his sign-off at a breakfast or a late early lunch for the uh, Canada Day event, uh, a breakfast at 24 Sussex. Uh, and um, so we were hearing it for the first time, and so were the British press who were traveling with her who told us they had never heard her make such a political speech, and she got a huge ovation oh. for those comments. She knows how to read a room. Oh, yeah, yeah. yeah. Or, or read a room and... Uh, read a country. Yeah. Read a country. Yeah. And, um, for example, to, to give another example, in 1992 on uh, Canada Day, the 125th anniversary of Canada, Canada 125, we had written a speech for her that was signed off by her in her office and everything. And she was, at an, again, at a lunch before with Mr. Mulroney at 24 Sussex, uh, before they went up to the hill for Canada for the Canada Day celebration at noon. Uh, she said to him, uh, Prime Minister, um, we uh, really should say a word about your peace, say, say something about your peacekeepers in former Yugoslavia. And uh, once again, the first wow. time we were hearing it was when she said it. And I said to a colleague, why didn't we think of that? And, <laughs> right. and again, it got a huge ovation. It was yeah. the biggest applause line in her speech. To give a more recent example, her famous speech uh, uh, to Britain and the world from Windsor Castle at the start of the pandemic and when she concluded uh, the lines that, her own lines, that uh, we will be, uh, um, we will be with friends again, we will be with our families again, we will meet again, and then kind of cue the music of, of Vera Lynn yeah. from the Second World War. Right. Uh, we'll meet again some sunny day. Wow. And again, uh, that was the moment where she owned the whole world. Yeah. Oh, this woman is, uh, yeah. she's formidable. Yeah. Classy lady. What what is it like to be in her presence? And do you, I, I'm, and I, I'm I'm not being flip, um, but you know my presentation will be. Is there a moment where you're thinking, Jesus Christ, it's the Queen? No, no. She she invites you to sort of uh, uh, be yourself. Okay. She's disarming. 
Yes, and she has she has so much stature and grace of her own yeah. uh, that she doesn't need to be uh, um, told that she's the queen. She knows that. <laughs> <laughs> Yes, she, she's, she's kind of you know had this yeah. job for seventy years and yeah. and and started out as a mechanic in the yeah. Second World yeah. War. So she knows she knows how to drive your Jaguar. Yeah. There you go. She seems to ha- have weathered the loss of her lifelong uh, husband and partner, Prince Philip. Yeah, yes. nicely. Well, nicely is the wrong word, but she's. Handled it with grace and with grace and, and, and yes, I yeah. mean, quite often when couples are together that yeah. long and yeah. one of them passes at that age, the other one is not too long for this world. Ninety nine, yeah, yeah, the other one is often not too long for this world because they just can't live without each other. He but on she goes. Sometimes in a way that the royal <laughs> he was terrific. He was a uh, yeah. He was sometimes a he was a real character. Really, we're not really happy about. But and uh, I don't know, and I can only tell you from a distance and from a perspective. I know nothing about the inside workings of the royal family or their relationship but they struck the two of them struck me as a great love story i think they must have been yeah, yeah. how yeah. else do you last that long as a couple and, if you're uh, not eh? you know the the um, the adventures of their children and grandchildren are are, are different storylines certainly they are yeah. Uh, yeah have been followed more by the tabloids uh unfortunately especially the british tabs yeah. over, over the years but uh there you go. I want to talk more about that. And I'm just going to take a moment to thank one of our sponsors, but I want to talk more about the surroundings of power with Ellie and McDonald, who is our uh, special guest today. Just uh, released a book called Politics and Players. Great summer read. My friends at uh, Matt Labonneur are uh, proud sponsors of the podcast. Um, they have been, uh, well, I've been speaking for them for a number of years now, watching that family-run company grow. It's a, a company that's born and uh, raised here in Quebec, has been developed here in Quebec, um, has uh, a number of locations all over the greater Montreal area, and I highly recommend an in-store visit because you're going to meet some nice people who are going to be very helpful, talk to you about sleep technology. Yes, such a thing does exist. And whether or not you want to do it uh, in person or online, Met La Bonheur, as sponsors of the Standing By podcast, are offering up a 5% discount in-store or online for products that are regularly priced or on sale. Uh, it'll give you 5% off whatever you're buying if you use the code TER05 or TED05. That's T-E-R-05 or TED05. It will take 5% off whatever your bill may be online or in person. If you're looking for a change in linens, change in mattresses, and it's time for a better night's sleep, Matla Bonheur is where you want to go. It's matlabonheur.ca. Ian, when you're in those, um, I, I, I don't know if it's just me that I get, you know, I, I have these lump in my throat moments when I find myself in circumstances that I never thought I would be in. Um, and it's happened to me a number of times. I guess it's going to sound like I'm, I'm uh, dropping names and telling stories. But I was invited to the Mulroney residence one year for a spring party. And I was standing by the pool um, trying to catch some air and trying to gather myself because I was surrounded by company that at the time I didn't think I belonged in. Sarah Savard, Ted Blackman, Senators, the mayor of Montreal, et cetera, et cetera. And I was standing by the pool catching some air, and I heard that baritone voice from behind me saying, Terry. And it was Mr. Mulroney. And, you know, he was, he was still the prime minister. And I was standing by the pool talking to the prime minister of the country at his residence. And I couldn't help myself. I, I, I got a little bit emotional thinking, I don't know how this kid from Verdun got here standing next to the prime minister of the country and, and turning in this circle of people of... Of power, but there's a there there's a, I get overwhelmed sometimes by by those lucky moments or however you want to describe them, and they, they I will remember them always. And I wasn't at the seat of power like you were. I I, I wasn't working in the PMO. I didn't you know sit with cabinet members or walk the halls of Parliament Hill. Did it ever? Because did you ever stop and think, Jesus? This is, I'm part of history. You know, every day I walked into uh, 
walked into the office of what was then the Langevin building on the corner at 80 Wellington Street, directly across from Parliament Hill, and looked out my window, for example, at this time of year, and saw the changing of the guard <laughs> happening across the street. I said to myself, I'm so lucky and privileged to be coming here to work every day. It was an honor and privilege to serve any prime minister, and I was honored to serve mine. That's my outlook on it. So you never became jaded? No. No. Did you see that happen to others? Um, <sighs> in, 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 in a few cases, and there were some lifestyle issues with some members of the office who in those days... Um, most of whom have since quit drinking, but still have high lifetime batting averages, if you know what I mean. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, but uh, by and large, people have the same attitude that, uh, and it's a, very, it's a very bipartisan outlook. When you meet people who've worked for liberal prime ministers, as well as mine, who was a cons progressive conservative, uh, there's, you have something in common worked at the seat of power, and it's a privilege. One of the things that I got from uh, partway into the book was you may have worked for a conservative prime minister, but I, you have an equal amount of respect for uh, the people across, across, sure. across the, the, the aisle. And, and I don't know if you are a conservative or a liberal, and I think you, it seems to me that you are more interested in the betterment of the country. Have I got that right? Well, um, I think uh, most people in public life go into that for their, you know, for that reason, mm -hmm. from from, the, from their own perspective and and how they see it. Uh, members of mainstream parties, as opposed to the the fringe that is becoming uh, voices that are becoming, I think, too prominent thanks to social media. I worry about that. Where is that going? I don't know. Do you think a moderate voice like Jean Charest, who is a man I have a great deal of respect for, um, and think that that's where, well, that's, that's where, if I was running the party, that's where I would want it to well, go. Well, if, if the conservatives want to be uh, a centrist party and want to have some hopes of winning the next election, mm -hmm. uh, Charest will be the, the winner of their leadership. Um, country is not going to vote for someone who's against uh, uh, vaccination mandates, uh, who uh, uh, is, a, is a fan of cryptocurrencies and against central banks and uh, thinks that the World Economic Forum is a bunch of unelected elites when in, they connect Canada as a middle power to the rest of the world. Um, but it looks like it's going that way, doesn't it, Ian? Well, based on the, the raw numbers, yes, uh, Poiliev would be the front runner at this right. point. But... Uh, when the two parties, the, the Reform Party and the former Progressive Conservatives, merged into the reunified Conservative Party in 2003, Peter McKay, who was then the leader of the Conservatives, got a concession from Stephen Harper that was uh, central to McKay's own legacy and to where the party is, which is to say, all writings are created equal. So that Calgary, uh, Poiliev might have 4,000 people in a, in a meeting in Calgary Centre, that's one writing, whereas uh, uh, and only with only one hundred votes in this in this uh, uh, convention. Um, whereas Sukutumi uh, Lac Saint Jean or whatever the writings in that part of Quebec are might have one hundred members, but they also have one hundred votes. Mm. So there's a weighted. It's a weighted vote. And if Polyev doesn't have... I didn't know this. And, and if you've been watching uh, these debates, mm -hmm. um, uh, you could say what you want about uh, the, the second conservative debate, which, which they conducted as a quiz show rather than a debate. <laughs> that's, a, you know, that's another story. Um, but uh, uh, I would, I would, Polyev doesn't seem to be making any friends. Um, so if he's, in my sense is, if he's not in the mid-40s on the first ballot, and on this preferential ballot, he will not grow to 50%. Mm. And that Shuri will win on the second or third ballot. Wow, interesting. It's the first time I've heard that. You mentioned social media. Do you think social media is, is driving 
political polarization or exacerbating a polarization that already existed? I think in, in driving it in Canada and the, the former, but the latter in the United States. Okay. Mm. Uh, on everything from the abortion debate to the latest gun debate. Imagine they have these you know, serial tragedies in schools and churches and uh, mass shootings and the U.S. Congress is unable to, the Senate is unable to get a majority of 60 people to pass gun control. It's, uh, and how... Here's Mr. Trudeau very opportunistically trying to uh, capitalize on that, uh, creating a, a wedge issue with the conservatives, to which he, <coughs> he may be successful up to a point. I read your column about um, the... In, it's an interesting... I didn't even think about it this way. There, Ontario has always been kind of like a counterweight to the prime minister. Um, and I, I never even thought about this when, you know, the liberals... Uh, the Liberals were had the control of the power levers in Ottawa. It was uh, William Davis in Ontario, and and now it's uh, with the the left seeming to be in control in Ottawa. Now it's Doug Ford who seems to be countering. Is is that a Canadian historical thing, or is it just happenstance? That was my column in uh, in Policy Magazine website, yeah. the, which I'm the I'm the editor. Yeah, I read it last night, and. Uh, um, we don't, as you know, we don't have a, a constitutional system of checks and balances in our in our constitution the way the Americans do, but we do have checks and balances at the ballot box, so that what what I call now nowadays blue at Queens Park, red in Ottawa, mm -hmm. or the reverse, right? Uh, blue in Ottawa, red at Queens Park. So, and it goes back a century since to the nineteen four, almost a century, eighty years to the nineteen forties. <clears throat> when the big blue dynasty was created in Ontario um, by a succession of, by George Drew and his successors, including, and uh, ruled for 42 years, John Robarts in the 1960s, when Ted and I were younger. That's right, <laughs> young fellows. Uh, yeah. uh, Bill Davis in the 1970s yeah. up till 1985. Uh, the Liberals from Mackenzie King to, Louis, to the beloved Louis Saint to the four terms of Pierre Elliott Trudeau. When they were over, um, and Mulroney won the, uh, and, and <clears throat> Trudeau and, and Davis were very good partners on the economy and uh, constitution, <coughs> as when the, when the tide finally turned, and we had a change election federally in 1984, was followed, and Mulroney and became blue in Ottawa, then they had a change election in Ontario, and David Peterson became premier, right. and it became red at Queen's Park. Yeah, what is that? And is it the people doing the checks and balances? Yes, it is. Yeah, they built them into the ballot box. Wow! And <coughs> here today we have uh, Doug Ford, who has learned from his mistakes early on as premier of Ontario, and has become pals with Trudeau, and particularly with Christia Freeland, the finance mm -hmm. minister. And they've worked together on uh, cross-border issues, on, on uh, pandemic issues, and they're partners. And that's what the public wants. And, and, and Ford won the debate. The only thing that mattered in, a, in that election, it, it was low participation, 43%. Yeah. Because that's it was crazy. Because it was not sad. a change election. It yeah. was a continuity election. Yeah. And the only meaningful debate uh, event was the debate, which Ford won in a single soundbite when... Uh, Stephen Del, du Del, Del Duca, the liberal leader, who has zero charisma, was accusing him of mismanaging the pandemic. And Ford said, well, we've made our share of mistakes and it's all on me. And then in that moment, he yeah. won, the, won the election because he was, he was humble and authentic. Canadians love that, and Canadians right? Canadians like that. Canadians love that. They really do. Um, we're talking with uh, Elian McDonald, and I want to take a break, uh, Ted, and talk about our uh, friend Sean, um, who, uh, speaking of uh, doing things for the greater good, um, we, we had lunch with Sean today, and I was quite taken with, um, he's a new sponsor. Uh, the name of the company is... Voswin. Yeah. And uh, Voswin and uh, Sean, who's got an engineering background, will take an idea that you have or are working on or struggling with or whatever and help you bring it to market. 
Um, and what one of the things that I was quite taken with was how much we talked about social responsibility and uh, and and trying to do things for the greater good. Sean has uh, already had two or three successful companies on his own, has held positions of power in big companies, and now is running Voswin so he can help other people. And he helps you through uh, engineering and engineering consult, uh, consulting, industrial engineering and design, electrical engineering and design, mechanical engineering and design, software development. If you have an idea, uh, if you are an inventor or an innovator and you have an idea that that you just need to know, how do I perfect this? How do I take it to market? Sean's the guy to go to. And uh, he will take you through that process. Or if he doesn't think you've got the right idea, or if he doesn't think it's an idea that he can take through the process, he'll send you off to somebody. He'll throw you out. <laughs> well, he'll throw you out and say, here's here's who you should go talk to. Yeah. But but as Terry said, the most impressive thing about the time we spent with Sean today was uh, I thought to myself, okay, I'm perfectly comfortable with sending people to this Absolutely. guy. Yeah, this yeah. is a good, honest, decent guy who is interested not just in running a successful company and making a living, but in the greater good, yes. uh, as as you mentioned, and in innovation and and in invention. It's just just a fascinating guy. And he chose us two knuckleheads. Yeah, to, really, to, eh? <laughs> to, to carry his message. Yeah, 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 yeah. Well, maybe he knew we were going to have Ellie and McDonald on and we would be having some serious conversations, so some serious people would be listening and watching. Uh, check out Ch- uh, Sean's company, Voswin, voswin.com. How, Ian, what do you attribute such a low turnout in the Ontario election to, and should we have mandatory voting in the country? You know, well, it was a continuity election, not a throw-the-bums-out election. It was okay. not a change. Are, the, are those the Does only Does that mean everyone elect- knew the Conservatives were going to win when you say continuity? Well, certainly they were ahead by 10 to 12 points okay. in the public opinion polls. and they were. So the it was the old, it doesn't matter if I vote or not, he's going to win. Yeah. Um, you, could have, you could institute mandatory votes voting the way the Australians did nearly a century ago. Uh, but, you know, in a way, when people don't vote, that's their way of not voting. Mm-hmm. Uh, not, it's their way of saying they're not interested. Yeah. <clears throat> so, um, um, on the other hand, w- one of the interesting consequences of that, or result turnouts and results of that election, was the uh, Liberals and the NDP got exactly the same number of votes. <coughs> Excuse me, mm-hmm. 26.7%. But the NDP won four times as many seats as the Liberals did, mm. 31 to 8. Wow. Um, yet you, you don't hear the NDP calling for electoral reform, do you? No. <laughs> no, you don't. They're now the silent advocates of the first-past-the-post system. <laughs> That's they're, right. They're, they're not, yeah. you know, they're not no longer a, 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 advocating mixed proportional representation, right. MMP, right. which is the successful German model. Right. <laughs> so no first past the post is working very well for the NDP yeah. even though they lost 10 seats well I, I think uh, the current prime minister was once an advocate of that and that's fallen off the table also I think yeah the electoral yeah. reform fell off yeah. his table very early on yeah very early on Yeah. Um, in your opinion and this is a very difficult question and I'll understand if you throw it back at me who's been the most consequential political figure in Canada in your lifetime I mean the best prime minister? I don't know if it's the best prime minister. When I think of you know the the different things that that came across prime minister's desk, whether it was you know governing the country during a depression during World War II, um, governing the country you know as the Americans fought in Vietnam, uh, you know I just think of uh, you know I would say free, th- free was, trade. Yeah. Uh, uh, the National Energy Program. There's been a lot of things that have had a lot of uh, effects on the country. I would say three prime ministers. Um, Saint Laurent, who uh, after World War II gave us the golden age of the post-war era of un- unprecedented prosperity and built uh, uh, NORAD, Canada's membership in NORAD, NATO as a founding member of NATO, built the St. Lawrence Seaway over the objections of the Americans. Wow. Um, basically he told them, he told Harry Truman, um, well, we'll build the seaway on our side of the Great Lakes. And the Americans went crazy. <laughs> and, and finally they came on board. What didn't they like about the seaway? 
well, they they thought it was a territorial invasion of you know Europeans, uh, boats and so right. forth, and uh, so we we the seaway wasn't opened by the Queen in 1959 mm. when she sailed the Royal Yacht Britannia down the St Lawrence River to Montreal and mm. opened here in Montreal. Um, that was a major achievement. Uh, Saint Laurent built the Trans Canada Highway system in in partnership with the provinces at the same time as the Americans were building the interstate highway system, mm. as Truman and Eisenhower were doing that, and that gave us the road network and the commerce and the tourism that we still enjoy to this day. Those roadways are now being repaired and replaced, mm-hmm. but they were that's so that's one Saint Laurent. Yeah. Two, I would say, Mr. Pearson. Because for the five years he was in office, again during our youth, Ted, mm-hmm. from 63 to 68, he had a minority government, but he had the wisdom to have a partnership with the, N- with the NDP, Tommy Douglas. That partnership gave us the Canadian flag, healthcare, universal health care, uh, with though a mixed jurisdiction with the provinces, and on and on. Progressive reforms of the Pearson era were remarkable. <coughs> and I would say Mr. Mulroney would be the third prime minister of the modern era um, because of the free trade agreement uh, uh, and other reforms on the environment, particularly uh, territorial sovereignty with the Americans, um, acid rain. Um, yeah, I forgot about acid rain. Um, yeah. you know, when Ronald Reagan first came to Parliament Hill in 1981, there were 50,000 people on Parliament Hill saying, shouting stop acid rain. Mm-hmm. Today it's no longer a problem solved by President Bush and, and Mr. Mulroney. And uh, Mulroney got Reagan to put acid rain into his speech on Parliament Hill yeah. in 1987. And Bush used to once famously said after lunch at 24 Sussex, I got an earful on acid rain. <laughs> Did he ever. And he was the author of the, you know, what we call the acid rain accord. And the Americans called it the uh, something else, the... Something else, something other act. I forget what what um, what transpires. How does it get to the point? Who organizes? I'm having trouble organizing this question. Spit it out, man. The um, how is how does the president of the United States and the prime minister of Canada end up singing Irish songs uh, on a wall during a presidential visit? Is that planned? Does somebody say, hey, you know what we should do tonight is sing When Irish Eyes Are Smiling or whatever it was they sang? How does that happen, Ian? Well, that was planned. Um, I figured it was, but I, I don't know how this I mean, there was the, the famous contralto, Maureen, I forget her name now, who, who was singing When Irish Eyes Are Smiling. Right. And Mulroney's head uh, deputy chief of staff, Lee Richardson, had said to Mr. Reagan, uh, Mr. President, just... Walk, follow me down, and we'll join the chorus. And uh, so they both <laughs> sang When Irish Eyes Are Smiling on St. Patrick's Day. Yeah, right. Um, <laughs> a lot of people found it corny. Yeah, it's memorable. Uh, but I thought it was memorable. As, as Mr. Mulroney said, what's wrong with a couple of Irishmen singing When Irish Eyes Are Smiling on St. Patrick's Day? He had a point. Yeah. <laughs> who, who invites Mr. Mulroney to give a eulogy of, a, of an American president? That... To me, I I I I've, I found that incredibly moving. Is is that is that is that a diplomatic thing or is that a family thing? Well, first of all, Mulroney was the first and only foreign leader ever to speak at the state funeral of an American president, and he spoke at two. Yeah, Ronald Reagan's in two thousand and four, at the invitation of Nancy Reagan. Okay, and George Bush's in two thousand and eighteen, at the invitation of George Bush, and. At first, Mulroney had said to him, this came up uh, at a uh, uh, summer, summer visit to the Bush's summer residence in Maine on the beach there. And uh, Mulroney said, George, I don't want to talk about this. And Bush said, we have to because I need to tell the people who will be organizing my funeral who I wanted to speak. Wow. So Mulroney had no choice but wow. to accept. And his speech... Uh, uh, Afterwards, um, uh, Hillary Clinton went up to him and, and said, "That was wonderful. Can we have a, Bill would like to have a copy of it?" So wow. that will give you an idea of the power of those those words. And they were all his own. Yeah, 
and they were incredibly moving and both speeches there was both yeah both of them were incredibly moving and also i think it says something um about his uh um his humanity i guess that uh in what was sometimes an adversarial relationship with the uh, the leader of the free world they became such good friends well he used to say when used to say the door to the Oval Office opens all the other doors in Washington and, mm. and around the world because other leaders, uh, leaders of other countries, especially for Canada as a middle power, they know that if you have the ear of the, of the American president, that that makes you consequ- a consequential actor on the global stage. And that was the case then. Um, I think it is proving to be the case now. Mr. Trudeau is now the ranking, Mr. Trudeau Jr., if I could put it that yep. way. Or the second Mr. Trudeau is now the ranking um, member of the G7, which is meeting this week yep. uh, in California. Mm-hmm. Uh, you'll have a, you know, some words with President Biden, mm-hmm. who is sort of besieged the poor man. Yeah. You know, uh, here he's with a 25% approval rating, seven or 30%, 75% American, of Americans think things are going badly, and there's this supply management crisis. Gasoline is five dollars a gallon. It's two dollars a liter here in two twenty four in Montreal today. Two thirty three in Vancouver. It's okay. I've converted my car to run on baby formula. <laughs> right. <laughs> well, that's another thing. You know, yeah. another yeah. part of the supply management crisis, right. all aggravated by uh, Ukraine and the Russians, uh, the behavior of Putin. Um, it's a it's a difficult time for President Biden. He's got his midterm elections coming up. And he's going to take what uh, Barack Obama once called a shellacking in the midterm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, I wonder. I wonder if Mr. Biden will take advice <coughs> from the Prime Minister, or does the Prime Minister still seem like a kid to him? Or will he seek a second term at the age of yeah. eighty? Yeah. That's uh, these question. are other uh, great questions. Yeah. Uh, we're talking to Elian McDonald. The new book is uh, called Politics and uh, Players, and uh, I'm going to take a moment to, to remind you about the uh, the UPS stores. Our friend David Drucker is, uh, I, I called him the chief cook and bottle washer. I don't think he would appreciate that. Probably not, but yeah. David's got a pretty good sense he, of humor. He does. And uh, he's an old friend. Yeah, he's yeah. an old friend of ours and a supporter of the podcast. And David uh, David uh, is uh, supporting the podcast. And, and, and I said to him, you know, how do you want me to tell people about the UPS stores? And he said, just do what you do. Um, and I, I tell the story of, of you know, uh, entrepreneurs who run these UPS stores can deal with you if you're an entrepreneur. Um, if you have, uh, you know, a lot of people uh, run small businesses from their homes and uh, are looking for packaging or looking for uh, packing or looking for uh, shipping solutions or looking for, you know, places to send a fax. Yes, people still do that. Uh, labeling all of the services that you can imagine you might need if you run a business or uh, if it's uh, maple syrup that you want to send across the country to your friends in British Columbia. Now that I live in British Columbia, we're uh, often recipients of packages of maple syrup. You are not. You're making that up. No, I'm not, because my wife loves maple syrup. Really? It has to be maple syrup from Quebec, and you can't find it out there. I don't know if that's a supply chain thing or, <laughs> but well, you want to make sure that's shipped properly. Guys, yeah. Bloody right, <laughs> and that's uh, that's where it goes through the uh, UPS stores. There, over uh, there are hundreds of locations. I think it's over three hundred and fifty locations across the country. They're all independently run, so you're dealing with somebody in your community who will look after your business because they're running their business. If you want to find out more about it, just drop in where you see that uh, beautiful big brown sign that says UPS store or you could visit them online at the upsstore.ca. Let me put you on the spot, Ian. Um, Caroline Mulrooney is a politician. I know nothing about her or her political uh, uh, career, uh, but I'd be curious to know your take on whether, uh, how much has the apple, uh, or how close has the apple fallen to the tree there? Is she a politician with a future, or has uh, that train left the station already? She has her mother's looks and grace and her father's political instincts. Mm, well, that's wow. not bad. Yeah. That's not bad. And she Pretty won good her riding by a wide margin. She won her riding with 61% of the vote, four times as many voters as her, as her nearest opponent. And uh, she's the transport minister, which is a controversial portfolio 
Ontario. She's the one who's building this Highway 413. And um, uh, has she taken a run at the leadership already? Yes, she, she has. She ran against Ford. And That's lost. what I thought. Okay, so will she, will there be another opportunity? Do you think for her? Well, that will depend uh, on when Mr. Ford steps down. If he leaves after two terms, uh, by then Caroline would be fifty-one. Uh, she's got four children, uh, most of whom are still in school, and one of whom, one of her sons, is a is a major hockey star, plays for the Toronto Marlies, wow. and is a major NHL prospect. Um, she likes her life in Toronto. Um, so it might not be something she wants necessarily. Well, I think she would prefer to run in, if the leadership was available in 2026 uh, after the federal election. Um, uh, she would be more inclined to run provincially than federally if, if uh, more inclined to run for the Ontario leadership because she lives nearby. Mm. She lives uh, in Forest Hill about three minutes drive from Queen's Park. Oh. And uh, um, uh, the, if you're going to Ottawa as conservative leader in opposition, say that they're looking for a leader between now and then, uh, she would have to kind of give up her lifestyle of to go and get on a plane and yeah. sit at Pearson and places like that. What's interesting <laughs> to me is uh, this... The sons and daughters of these, though, yeah, the, the sons and daughters of these politicians, uh, the current prime minister being one of them, and uh, Caroline Mulroney being another, um, got to see up close what kind of price you have to pay uh, to serve in public office. Well, they both grew up at Twenty Four Sussex, yeah, so they and, know something about yeah, that. Yeah, and still, still decided to pursue it. Yeah, it's interesting to me. Um, is there something? That hasn't been in a book, Ian, that you would like to share? One of the craziest things that's maybe happened um, either on Parliament Hill or off Parliament Hill that kind of made your eyes bug out of your head and your chin sway? <laughs> I'd have to think about that, Terry. Okay. All right. I don't know. Okay. <laughs> you got me. Are you being diplomatic? or Because <laughs> no. I'm sure you've seen some crazy things and some wild arguments and... It I was, was just thinking something. I was going to tell you something about you. Okay, you're a bit of a living legend in the in the radio business. <laughs> God, uh, I was telling a friend of mine named Deborah Endiger, who's in her early fifties, mm -hmm. and she works for Elizabeth May in Ottawa, but grew up in Montreal. And she was a teenager, about seventeen, sixteen or seventeen, when you were doing the morning show at Shome. And she said, "Oh, Terry Demonte. He used to he used to have this this traffic check thing." or time check thing, oh. he'd say, it's 747, <laughs> it's the time, not an airplane. And I said, how do you remember that? How do you that? know that? <laughs> I said, how do you know that and remember that? He said, she said, that's what I remember about Terry's morning Well, show. that's one of Terry's trademark uh, wow, things. That's really not an airplane, just the time. Yeah, yeah. that's really quite something that she yeah. remembers that. Um, here's, a question. here's a question for you. Why did you stay in Montreal? Well, I came back to Montreal because it's home. Okay. Um, I lived in Ottawa uh, for s seven or eight years. Mm -hmm. uh, uh, lived in Washington for four or five years. And when I uh, came back to Montreal, it was uh, uh, Lee Hamilton who had offered me the job as the, after the 1995 referendum as yep. the morning man at CKGM, then on Green Avenue, across the hall from you at Shome. Mm -hmm. And that's where we met. And Occasionally had breakfast after our, yeah. our shifts. Yeah. And uh, oh, we've crossed paths many times. You were my political commentator when yeah. I was on CJAD. And, and then I, I kind of, um, uh, that was a, a, a place where I lived around the corner and still do for yeah. the radio station. Yeah. So I didn't have to drive in from the West Island to, <laughs> you know, get up at three in the morning. I could get up at... The show was 6 to 10, so I could yeah. get up a quarter to 6 and just fall across the space. Nice. I will yeah. always be grateful to you because when I followed George Balkan, I don't know if you remember this, but when I followed... That's a tough act to follow, my friend. <laughs> I, in my biggest professional challenge ever, following that act, um, and uh, I was going to say filling those shoes, but you don't fill those shoes. As uh, George said to me, you just put your shoes next to mine. Um, and, uh, I guess it was a, uh, it was probably a, I don't know, maybe a couple of weeks after you had done, you were doing Friday morning commentary, political commentary. 
And about two, three weeks in, he, you said to me, and people were very critical of me because I was known as the rock and roll disc jockey kid who had stumbled and fallen into this job. And you said to me after, uh, after we had been on the air, um, you do your homework and you know your stuff, good for you. And it, 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 put, it put air under my wings, and I will always be grateful to you for that. And George Balkan was a legend. He was. He was a legend and was, and was very kind to me. And uh, also put air in my wings. He spent a lot of time with me passing the baton. And it was, uh, it was one of my greatest challenges, but one of my greatest joys in, in uh, the career. Sure. What's the matter, Ted? You look like you're going to cry. No, I'm not going to cry. <laughs> I was just thinking, about, good God, now we have to drive home and rush our traffic, don't we? <laughs> <laughs> and how can I use that to segue into a Mercen Automotive commercial? Okay. <laughs> Is it time to say hi to the Mersons? I think we should say hi All to the right. Mersons. Merson okay. Automotive uh, <laughs> on Saint-Jacques near Cavendish in NDG. Uh, we have been speaking on their behalf, Terry and I have, for about 25 years now. They're longtime supporters of us in our various and sundry radio incarnations, and now uh, they've come on board as sponsors of the podcast, and we are grateful to them for that. Uh, Merson is a family that's, uh, they've been in business uh, as uh, a all service, a full service garage for four generations now, going on four generations. Yes, sir. Three generations with the fourth in the wings. And uh, what we've always found interesting and gratifying about speaking on their behalf is that generations of customers have been coming to them. If your grandfather took his car to Ben Merson, your dad probably took his car to Mark Merson, and your mom's taken her car to Kara Merson. Uh, that's the way that, uh, that it's worked for the Mersons over the years, and people keep coming back because the Mersons operate with honesty and integrity. And uh, you want to find that in anybody you do business with, but particularly in, in that industry, it's pretty easy to get taken for a ride. The Mersons won't do it. They do it right. Check them out at mercenauto.com. Visit them on Saint-Jacques, just west of Cavendish. As Andrew Carter used to like to say, tell Terry and Ted, uh, tell them Terry and Ted sent you and get a free blank stare. <laughs> that was across the street from the Rose Bowl Lanes. That's yes. right. Yep. And down the street from the Bon Voyage Tavern, where many of us from Loyola. <laughs> was that that little brick building? Mm, That's right. I wow. remember that, the Bon Voyage. Well, many of us grew yeah. up on Friday nights and uh, would have our... Our our beer, too much beer usually. Yes. On our way to dinner at the Chalet Barbecue. Yes. Yep. Which is still there. Which is, uh, that's the perfect compliment to too much beer. Yeah. Dinner, yes. the chicken at Chalet There's some West End institutions for you, yeah. eh? No kidding. And my, you, my, my, my daughter, my 31-year-old daughter, Grace, says to me, Dad, what's the what's the phone number at Chalet Barbecue? <laughs> and I say, 489-7235. <laughs> and it still is. Yeah. <laughs> They, this is something we were talking about earlier today uh, at lunch. God, the, the the city has changed, Ian, and it's. Um, I'm not. I don't want to be the grandpa on the swing, but I don't know if it's for the better. There was an electricity and a magic and a vibrancy and a uh, almost like a New York vibe, you know, to the city in the '70s and the the '80s, and I think even into the '90s. Um, is it just evolution where we're at? Or are we just going to the wrong neighborhoods now? <laughs> uh, that's a good question, and I'm not sure of the answer. I think part of it is that uh, um, the welcome mat in Montreal and Quebec isn't quite what it used to be. And I don't want to get into the Bill 96, Bill 21 discussion. That's you know too complicated. Yeah, I just want to say uh, one thing about it. I think it's going to do as much damage as it did back in 1977. But go but ahead. It, you know, if you... Uh, yeah, I don't disagree with you on that. If you're... You know, you have a labor shortage, but you're not encouraging immigrants to come here. Uh, then people with job skills will take them somewhere else. Mm -hmm. It's just that simple. Yeah. Because there, there's a thing in the book where you, you describe uh, meeting Mr. Mulroney at PVM. Mm. And there was a there was a buzz back then. You know, the Alcan head office was there. Sure. The RBC head office was there. And there was, you know, people coming and going and horns blowing and people hailing cabs and you know, neon signs, and there was just there, I don't know, there was a vibrancy to the city that I just don't, you know, I, I don't get from the, the giant circle or the Bixie bikes. The yellow things outside the, the airport yeah, that we saw. The pretend <laughs> flags, whatever the fuck those things are. I, 
I don't know. They're just, uh, it's just, there's, I don't know if it's an age thing, if it's a perspective thing or whatever it is, but it, uh, it's, it doesn't have its pizzazz that it once had. <laughs> well, you know, you could ask Premier Legault and um, ask him, um, when he was in the airline business, when he went to New York and Toronto, what language did he speak? Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah. To, to get landing rights for his aircraft. Yeah. Yeah. The uh, book is called Politics and Players. L. Ian MacDonald. What a, a, what a, just an unbelievably wonderful read it is for a summer day. At better bookstores everywhere. At better bookstores From everywhere. From McGill Queen's University Press. There's a shameless plug. Nice. Sorry about that. <laughs> and if you, you know what, if you love the country like I love the country and you have a love of history of the country like I do, these stories are fascinating. And uh, as I've said uh, during the podcast, uh, Ian sat at the foot of power or next to the uh, people who are in positions of power and has a great perspective on things like, uh, you know, Mr. Mulroney and Mr. Turner. It's, uh, um, there was a couple of times where I teared up. I got a little bit emotional, but Ted and I were saying as we get older, we cry when we're crying. Drop of a hat. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, there's a great picture of being on the front cover in front of Westmount Square. I recognize that right away. Taken by my other daughter, Grace. That's right. Yeah. And a nice picture, as we said, on the dock uh, of the cottage uh, with his other daughter. Uh, on the back cover, Ian. Thank you for doing this. This My was uh, this was really really fascinating and a lot of uh, uh, a lot of great stories. And uh, it was great to see you. Anytime. Okay. Standing by the Terry and Ted podcast is sponsored by Jaguar Land Rover Laval, where the luxury is unmistakably British, but nobody wears a top hat or a monocle.